thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, everyone out there listening to us today. Welcome to Wellness Win Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And as always, thank you. It's a, a real pleasure for us to share this, I guess, the next 30 minutes with you, wherever you are. I know that we often get emails, uh, people going, oh my gosh, this is my drive time and um, way people use their time well, going for walks and doing their regular exercise, tuning into us. It's kind of weird, isn't it, Andy? <laughs> Um, it's also funny hearing people say that they can listen to us like five episodes at a time um, without getting bored. Like, oh man, that is impressive. I don't know how you do that, but awesome. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so welcome to all our new listeners. Thank you for, for finding us. And I hope that uh, we can give you absolutely huge value um, each of the weeks that we record. And don't forget to go back to our old episodes of things that uh, interest you. We are sort of focusing this year on Wednesday updating. We've been a couple of our hard hitting topics over the last few years have been I guess superseded now there's a lot of great information and new research so you'll notice that we will probably record again this year in certain areas particularly in the women's reproductive health space because there's some great uh, advancements going on and we really want to keep you as listeners up to date and as promised always you know right in the know of the research that's out there so you can make informed choices um, which is you know really what we do what we do for because I think that uh, this so often we consult and you know chat to people who are referring back to things that were since you know 2008 or and I just think that uh, the last decade has seen such a massive shift in our health and wellness space that you'd be remiss of us not to be totally on the ball with what's going on and uh, it's yeah it's pretty exciting time actually I'm really loving the last two years has just been such a 
evolution in our thinking around uh, particularly things like gut and hormone health. It's been amazing, hasn't it, Andrea? I know. It's also exhausting, though, because <laughs> True, there's so reading. much research to keep up with, um, I mean, which is awesome, uh, and I think that that's really fantastic. But the other frustration is that often mainstream um, health practices don't necessarily stay up to date or um, are on the pulse when it comes to, you know, the latest research. I mean, it takes 17 years on average for practices to change, medically speaking, once we have new information about things. Um, and I think that that's just so antiquated and that just takes way too long. Um, so anyway, um, Ash, before we get on to the topic that we're going to talk about tonight, which I will introduce now. So um, ladies, tonight we're going to be talking about precocious puberty. And this was a request from actually a whole bunch of mothers. Um, we're going to get into that in a minute. But before we do that, um, just for selfish reasons, Ash, because this is the first time that I've seen you in ages. Um, how are you doing? Awesome. Um, you've come back from Tasmania. How was your trip? <laughs> yeah, a bit spoiled. It was uh, super wonderful. So for any of our Tassie listeners, hello. I really love your space of the world. It's very, very awesome. Um, it's a, a great place. We flew into Hobart and had uh, a week in the Huon Valley area and a week out at uh, the area just kind of outside Port Arthur. There's a beautiful coastal spot there. And um, I can tell you it was awesome, awesome. And the kind of the coolest, funniest thing that happened was that the, the house we Airbnb'd in the second uh, location actually ended up being like a black spot. So there was no um, connection to anything. Like we, our mobile phones were like SOS only and uh, we didn't have Wi-Fi and there was no internet. And we're like, oh my God, this is so funny because I can literally say that I don't think I have been tech free for 10 years, I reckon, um, in the oh, sense that's that so scary, isn't it? maybe the last time, and no, even still, like for a whole week, I reckon the last time, not even in Africa, in Tanzania, when we were traveling you know, and, and trekking Mount Kilimanjaro, like we were on emails before we left and when we got back down. So that's not even a week, right, between it. Um, so yeah, amazing. So I can highly recommend, ladies, that uh, you take a digital detox. Um, I that's what I kind of called this little week away, which was uh, a digital detox. It was fascinating how many times I checked a phone that had no reception. <laughs> yeah, understandably, I've totally yeah. done that. Yeah, Right. I mean, how ingrained is it in um, our lifestyle today that we are just so tech, uh, what, is it, what would you say? Tech reliant, tech trained, oh, addicted, like, addicted yeah. like all of those words fit, um, to want to be connected to everything and everyone and the whole universe and the whole world and <laughs> whatever's going on anywhere. Mm -hmm. And amazing how it forces you to be so present, um, which is kind of cool because you don't miss the little things. And obviously with Oliver running around, it was really great to sort of watch him stretch the umbilical cord, so to speak. He just was finding this little phase of himself getting a little bit further away and doing things a little bit differently, but still, you know, looking back for that eye contact. So it just is a great reminder as a parent um, how important it is to get off your bloody phone and make sure you're watching your children because they look for that social feedback, right? They look back at you even though you don't realise and they just want that little eye contact or a little nod or a little wink or, you know, a little, you know, just uh, an I guess an acknowledgement of what they're doing or they want you to pull back a little. Like sometimes he'd look at me like, 
um, should I mom? And I'd be like, uh, uh-uh. you know, shake my head and he's like, okay. And away he goes, you know, it's just like, it's, you know, it's amazing. So thank you for asking. It was really lovely. And uh, I think if I can give anything back from that, uh, that particular second week, it would be ladies. I just I highly recommend a digital detox. I didn't realize I needed one until I had one by accident. <laughs> Um, that does actually sound amazing. Um, were you bored? Bored? How the hell could you be bored? There's so many wonderful things to do in the world if you actually get away from your phone. <laughs> you just forget it. I know. That's I know. It's, um, I think we're just so like enculturated or ingrained into just being so reliant on it that it's just, even if you're waiting in line for 20 seconds, you just... Oh, so oh. true. I know it's terrible. Um, and how funny so is it too? The little dopamine hits that you need. Those little moments of like, oh, does someone like my comment? Or oh, I wrote a comment. Did anyone give me feedback? And you don't even realise you actually want that engagement. Like it's <laughs> a bit concerning. But uh, yeah, what did you guys get up to? How was your Easter? It's such a strange time in history. Um, Easter was good, thank you. We um, went camping um, and also didn't really have very good reception and I got quite sick. Um, That's what happens when you uh, burn the candle at both ends and you don't rest. And I don't think I've been completely right since coming back from Japan, to be honest. Like, just felt like my immune system has been a bit challenged. Uh, And then, so we you know, took the four days off and went camping, which was amazing. Um, but it also was not downtime um, at all uh, because um, on the Easter Monday, I did an interview with ABC Radio on um, what to do if you overindulge in chocolate um, or sugar over Easter. So that was in my mind the whole yeah. time that we were camping. And we didn't have phone reception either unless I ran up the hill. So Literally, probably three or four times a day, I was running up this hill just to check my phone. Um, and, you know, I was had called Damien Christoph a couple of times to get his advice on, you know, the media interactions and all of those sorts of things. And um, it was just a really bizarre thing that uh, we were camping um, on the beach. It was so beautiful and I was completely wound up the whole time. Um, and I tried to hide it really well from Dean. I don't know if I did a very good job of that, that I was a bit, you know, stressed and anxious about the whole um, thing. But then I, we came home and I completely crashed and um, I had to take some time off work and I had to change a whole bunch of commitments just to try and, like, claw my way back. Um, so we're totally not immune to, I guess, the confines of a normal innate system. Um, but yeah, that was a, a very good eye opener for me. That's for sure. Gosh. Um, and how real is that though? I mean, it, as you say, we're, we're often asked these hard hitting questions and I love being able to answer them, but it's, you know, that, that honestly, that truth is that we do work hard. We do, you know, do a lot of things. We do burn the candle at both ends at times, even though we recommend no one else does it, but um, you know we do have to take do a dose. I say, not as I do, right? Yeah, and we do have to take a you know literally a dose of our own medicine, which is some rest and recharge, that downtime, that a bit of you know detox yeah. escape, the good food, back to sleep rituals, you know, just bringing it all back to those principles of uh, you know well being that we we recommend everyone does. So I think it's you know consequence. We were talking today about the consequence of modern 
living, right? And I think that fits in beautifully with what's well, it is because what is happening with our children, this this idea that let's talk about what precocious puberty is because this just scares the hell out of me, right? Like I'm looking at my son going, oh my God, if he hit puberty at eight, I would bloody freak out. <laughs> um, so what is it and what's happening and why is it happening? Because, you know, most people just think it's just bad luck. You know, it's just their kid or whatever. Um, I definitely know of a girl in my class going through school and obviously I was too young to understand it, but now every little piece of the puzzle and every aspect of her life and the teenager she became and all the rest of it totally makes sense when we look at the research and the understanding of progressive puberty, the impact it has on the hormones and the endocrine system, the impact it has on the mental emotional maturity. Like there is just so much going on there and it's so super important to understand these. Also from the perspective of preconceptive health, how we are as women, as you know, the childbearer who's going to grow, you know, our gorgeous little humans and hopefully we can help prevent this um precocious puberty because there are certainly some things we have control over, things we can do, which could help reduce the risks of precocious puberty. So I reckon let's rock and roll. Let's get into this topic um, and let's break it down. Let's talk about some of the, the things that occur and some of the things we can do to help. Awesome. Okay. So um, when Ash refers to precocious puberty, what she's meaning is the onset of puberty. And if we look at, say, just females, for instance, so the onset of menstruation, um, technically like to be proper, true precocious puberty, it's classified as an a, like pu- pubertal changes before six years old, but then the onset of menses at eight um, or before eight. But I think that we can, that is so, so young. As far as I'm concerned, like the average age of menstruation is around 13. I think anything younger than 11 is way too young. Um, that's just my own personal opinion on that. Um, but when we, when I hear of girls getting their periods at you know nine or ten years old, I honestly just think that that is far too young for them. And there's a, a sort of an endocrine change that has happened that has led to that. Um, so it may not be medically classed as like true precocious puberty, but um, I still think that it's just the onset of menstruation that is too young. And the reason that this episode has sort of come about is we're starting to get lots of questions from really switched on mothers about how can we prevent, uh, you know, adverse hormonal changes happening for our girls and for our teenagers. Or we might, um, I've I've certainly had mothers saying to me, um, I I can notice my son or my daughter's body changing their moods are all over the place. They're starting to get hormonal acne already and they're only eight years old. What is going on? And it's like, okay, well, you know, let's have a conversation about this. And one mother saw a GP about those changes um, and the GP's response uh, was that, oh, how lucky are we that we live in a world that is so healthy because that is the reason for precocious puberty nowadays is that we have such a healthier lifestyle than what we've ever had. Um, so just like we've got really great sanitation that allows us to live longer, um, our healthy lifestyle and our nutritional requirements are always met. So that's why um, we're getting periods earlier. And I call absolute BS on that. That is such a crocodile. Um, and you know, it really alarms me that people can have that, that opinion because this is a system that has gone wrong. Um, kids should not be menstruating too early and this is not because of a healthy lifestyle or met nutritional requirements. This is because of environmental exposures and 
a change in the modulation of our um, like neuroendocrine system. Um, and there's like very good, well-researched um, clinical reasons for this as well. Oh, absolutely. It's um, <laughs> bloody concerning that that was given as a healthy lifestyle when the research is indicating it's actually the unhealthy lifestyle that's oh, this person causing had no it. idea what they were talking about. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my goodness. Well, I mean, let's put it in perspective. Um, in the end of last century, we're looking at the average age of American girls. Uh, I think we were hitting around the age of 15 uh, to 16 for, for onset of menstruation, which you know, to most of us sounds pretty reasonable, right? I know that I was 16. So for me, uh, it's I'm so glad it wasn't any sooner. I was quite happy that it was uh, the age of 16 and I still felt very healthy, normal, and I was absolutely mentally, emotionally able and ready to, to deal with um, the responsibility of having a menstrual cycle as well because it's not just the the actual management of the menstrual cycle, you know, the dealing with the bleeding and all that sort of stuff, which is requires attention you know it requires awareness but it's also the mental emotional aspect of uh, being a teenager because what they're finding is that you know these children are going through these changes early but they're still only the mental emotional maturity of their chronological age so you know for a six-year-old to start menstruating compared to a 16 year old there is a massive psychological difference in that um and that's a, a what is um a six-year-old is that grade one or grade two or first grade or one grade? yeah first first class and there's no sort of um like health or sexual education that happens that young so they would literally have no idea what was happening to them the poor things no and of course you know like an eight-year-old a six-year-old these these are these are children. These are babies, right? So they don't have an understanding of sexuality. They don't have an understanding of them, their experience being, you know, sexual in nature. So, and I say that generally because I hate to think children at that age really do understand it. <laughs> um, that's another story, I guess. But it's just this idea that they don't understand what it is, but they're exhibiting behaviours, you know, uh, of what we'd probably call like sexiness, you know, like being sassy and being sexual in their behaviour and actions, um, unaware of the attention and then realising the attention does get them, you know, uh, noticed and that can be a problem in and of itself that some children are ready for that in terms of they like to be the centre of the crowd and other kids are going to retreat and withdraw and uh, there's definitely good scientific literature to show that the girls who do menstruate early and go through this experience of precocious puberty are far more likely to experience depression, clinical depression, before the age of 10. So, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. So if we can prevent it um, and prevent, uh, I guess, potentially a lifetime of mental health issues, then let's do what we can, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there are some very clear um, clinical reasons why this might happen. And uh, first of all, and this is... Um, you know, taught within sort of reproductive medicine is that one reason um, that kids, you know, get into precocious puberty is if there is a dramatic um, and fast weight gain period, so during early childhood, and often this will happen with um, premature or low birth weight infants. Um, and the low birth weight infants can be due to the health of the mother, like the maternal health sort of status, um, who can, you know, give birth to lower birth weight infants. There can be other reasons for it as well. But when these kids dramatically 
gain weight very, very quickly. They have high levels of sex steroid hormones, which then changes the like neuroendocrine hormonal pathways. Um, and it's also been demonstrated that um, the birth weight and the DHEA levels, so kind of that like mother overarching hormone levels um, of these kids, there's an inverse relationship between the two of them. So with the highest levels of androgens are actually present in the smallest um, neonates or smallest babies. Um, so then they go through this really fast, rapid, rapid weight gain during childhood. But then really interestingly enough, like obese and um, kids who are like, you know, quite overweight, um, particularly during the first like early years of life um, have been shown to, it's been linked to not only exaggerated um, like adrenal type development, but also precocious puberty. Um, They've also got elevated insulin like growth factor one concentrations, hyperinsulinemia, insulin resistance, and an increased risk for PCOS as well. So it seems like, like on one hand, it could be a bit of an adaptive response of that body to try and, um, I, I guess, balance out that low birth weight and then that rapid weight gain and, and the maintenance of that sort of body tissue. Um, so it could be like, you know, an adaptive change in the, the neonate hormonal profile that kind of leads to an early increase in those sex hormones. Um, but the adrenal glands and the consequential sort of precocious puberty is of, like, that's, that's a really big problem. And that's then the um, sort of medical change that, or the hormonal change that happens in their system. Um, so then they have these excessively high levels of estrogen. So they have this big influx of estrogen excess, which then changes their entire physiology. Um, so interesting, huh? Mm, and I think so, that's something that we we probably, I agree with you with the idea that, you know, before 11, it's because of this notion that the developments that are occurring in the body, we also have, you know, estrogenic um, excessive estrogen issues. And this is where from women's health perspective, research, you know, indicating excessive levels of estrogen over time, increased risks of um, female hormonal cancers and things like that. So there's a lot of overlay as to whether or not it's a, a big deal and whether we should do things to try and prevent it or, you know, like that poor lady was told that it's just part of a consequence of a, a healthier lifestyle and healthier mums and, you know, more more ready, more sexually ready children. I just don't think that that's a great thing to have in society. I think if we can uh, encourage people to make better choices and put pressure on governments and industry mm-hmm. to do better for our environment, then we're going to secure the health and well-being, the future for our children um, because it's, there's a genetic component as well, but those children that do undergo you know, the maturation early, they're more likely to have that genetic uh, passing on to their children and offspring, which, you know, perpetuates a very damaging cycle of health as well, which I think we're in a yeah. critical state of chronic health uh, issues here in Australia for sure and I think that pretty much reflects the rest of the world I would you know like to say because everywhere we go research we're looking at I mean we're looking at a study here from South Korea um, showing that the average age has increased um, with the significance from 
average of 3.3 per 100,000 girls with precocious puberty has risen to over 55 in 100,000 in just a four-year window. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it is, um, you know, in terms of relative terms of how many girls and uh, what's the reason for that change. And we can certainly start to point the finger at some of our uh, industries and some of the choices environmentally that we're making. Um, And, uh, you know, I hate to sound like the doomsday queen here, but... (laughs) I think if we don't change what we're doing, uh, we're going to see this this number rise uh, exponentially. It just there's no other way. And Ash, you're absolutely right about the psychological factors and the um, you know this is can be quite devastating for the actual girls that, who are involved who are suffering from this because these girls are much more likely to suffer from psychological trauma, but also sexual abuse because obviously they're exhibiting um, sexual behaviours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, and obviously you know like the physical presentation of a um, you know advanced sort of sexualized body rather before they have any un- sort of understanding of what what that is, I guess. Yeah, for um, sure. Well, imagine if you, you met the 11-year-old girl displaying the body of a 15, 16-year-old and you conversed with them and talked to them. Let's just say, you know, they're out and about. Well, how do men and boys approach those girls? We know that they're going to approach them in a sexualized way. That's the that's the mating game, you know, in putting it in a very crude, crude way. But the problem is psychologically these girls are not able to deal with this. Their brains have not undergone the maturation that occurs in... In later adolescence and it makes them incredibly vulnerable to you know that uh what i would call unwanted attention uh, god it's hard enough being an adult woman dealing with um hypersexualized behavior and fending off men who are being i say gross <laughs> imagine for, for young girls and it's not just, I think, psychological trauma that we really need to think about. It's also the physical effects that this has on their system. So they are reaching um, like sexual hormonal changes long before their body should be ready for that. So um, it increases the risk of things like PCOS, lots of other um, like, you know, hormonal issues um, that would go along with that estrogen excess as well. So inflammatory changes, um, they probably have like an immature sort of liver detoxification part pathways it would be allowed to um, sort of I guess balance out that kind of thing but also it um, will usually make these girls a lot shorter in stature as well because those really high levels of estrogen cause um, make the bones close their epiphyses so the of the long bones which makes people shorter so you would think that precocious puberty they'll be growing taller for longer and all those sorts of things but it's actually opposite because their body thinks it's maturing much faster than what it should be um and that's just one thing so these these girls usually like shorten stature as well um just as another physical kind of onset of that interesting and i think that's um something as well because that that early closure of the growth plates they exhibit early growth so they'll shoot up fast so they might be you know a head and shoulders above all the other classmates but that's about the limitation of that growth and development isn't it and so it's sometimes a clue is these excessively tall children amongst their peers um, as to the fact that there could be this uh, maturation, this early maturation prior to menstruation. So they may not be uh, menstruating yet, but they may be exhibiting those pubertal changes, um, So, which can be a good warning sign if there's intervention needed because obviously there are some therapies and some hormonal uh, approaches to slow this down and to switch it off temporarily um, 
in order to protect and preserve the growth and development of that child. Um, so it's yeah, not not unfortunately not all natural in terms of the way we can manage it, but certainly when necessary, there are certainly some medical approaches to help. Um, I've yeah. I guess I've yeah, having can... yeah having experienced this with one of my classmates, and I've understood now what it actually meant was. I guess the way they, the analogy they use for, for the brain of a child in this experience is it's where it's basically that the accelerator in the brain has pressed the floor before there's even a good braking system in place. And so, you know, you're getting children potentially more risk-taking behaviours. Um, the studies have shown that they're more likely to engage in smoking, sexual activity, um, alcohol, well and truly before their peers. Um, and that all comes down to that idea that the brain doesn't have a break. So we don't have that pre- prefrontal cortex, that regulation, behaviour regulation system working properly yet. Um, and we're just dealing with the reward centres, which is pleasure centres of the brain are being fixed quickly and easily with behavior and action so understanding that as well can really help to um, educate and educate parents on how to help their children if this is happening and I think that one thing that we really need to talk about um, that I think will hopefully be really obvious to people is the other reason why the rates of precocious puberty or um, you know our girls and boys developing much quicker than what we would like them to be is because of the health of you know the parents which we can never um sort of shy away from and a big part of that is environmental exposures environmental toxins so we know that the endocrine disrupting hormones that we are exposed to or are exposing ourselves to will dramatically change the expression of and the hormonal maturation of our kids as well. So, um, for example, uh, even though it's not like, you know, technically classified as a xenoestrogen, it is definitely still an endocrine-disrupting chemical and that is particularly dioxins. So they found that um, there's been lots of reported cases of exposure to even low-dose certain types of dioxins during the prenatal period led to early activation of the hypothalamic-pituitary going axis and hence higher precocious puberty rates and they also were able to replicate this in rat studies as well um, there was also studies conducted on Taiwanese boys um, who when exposed to intrauterine um, essentially environmental toxins um, and this were this was not a um, forcing they were just um, measuring levels that they would be finding in the environment they found that in these boys there was lower levels of testosterone with increased follicular stimulating hormone increased estrogen levels um, and they found that this then uh, continued on throughout puberty as well Um, and they also have been shown in experimental studies with phthalates um, or phthalates I should say that they have anti-androgenic effects so less androgen hormone Hormones. They also have increased um, estrogenic effects, so allowing for estrogen excess, um, and they cause ambiguous genitalia in male infants. So these environmental, to- and that's just three studies, three examples that I've just pulled up. Um, and so these environmental toxins and this exposure is actually changing the, I guess, the endocrine system, the physiology, and the genitalia of um, boys and girls. So you ask, where do you find these things? <laughs> and the sad answer is everywhere. Um, so the big challenge with endocrine disruptors is that they're predominantly in plastics, uh, so man-made chemicals, and you're going to find them for everything from 
oh, look, toys and flooring and shampoos and conditioners and detergents for washing clothes and like it's literally in everything you know food packaging people need to listen to i think was it episodes like two and three or something oh, living, like yeah, that we're about living low tox yeah. so, you know, obviously that's yeah. my, my thing i just uh, i'm so i guess passionate about sharing that message but it's not just because it's uh i guess the environmental activism side of me that wants to jump out and scream it but it's more that what are we giving our kids futures you know genetically speaking what are we doing to them by not not respecting this problem of environment on body um so yeah for me it's a a big issue and it's probably the number one issue i think and it ties in again and again and i think for i don't a couple of my clients were listening and they were like god you guys talk about that a lot and i was like damn straight we do because it's one of the most important things you have to get our environment right you know fix the environment fix our health fix our life that's that's really how it plays out so um yes should we vote with our feet yes should we vote with our dollars yes absolutely don't buy you know crap it's not going to make our world and our health better um obviously you probably know about this uh, you know in terms of bpa is a commonly known chemical found in you know bulk of bottles packaging water bottles um plastic food storage containers and all that sort of stuff. Um, even the lining inside tin food cans, for example, is, you know, coating that contains BPA. Challenge is we've also got variations on that now. So we're getting things like um, BPS and these are just very small molecular differences between BPA, but right now BPA is the one they talk about and they say, oh, it's BPA-free. And unfortunately, sadly, it's actually, you know, contains BPS, which is not studied enough yet and we know that it's going to have a very similar you know endocrine mimicking effect as bpa it's just not um, been widely published yet so i i think we're all being tricked in the way that we're being greenwashed um we're getting told that things are safer than what they really are so we do actually ask you very much to to take a proactive approach in this area and to look at things like the environmental working groups website awd ewg.org because they have a great platform where you can just do a quick search to find out if some of the you know weird names on your bottles actually have any you know health impacts and risks so definitely use that as a, a source to decide whether or not you think ingredients on a packaging label are safe for you um, because don't trust the labels when they say things like bpa free or phthalate free because there's a lot of other um estrogen mimicking compounds that could be in there that you might think you're doing the very best for yourself, but maybe be getting tricked. Um, and that's what that concept of greenwashing is all about. So gosh, can we help? Yes, precocious- uh, yes, absolutely. So, um, I would certainly suggest having listened to the episode that we did on holistic prenatal care. Um, mm. So we were talking about, you know, all the things that you can do to protect your, um, I guess, you know, your egg quality, your fertility potential, and also, um, I guess, the health of your, your baby. Um, I think that's a great idea. If you do have kids who you think are heading down that route, there's a few things that you can do to intervene um, beforehand. And that is, you know, obviously as boring as it is, an excellent diet because maintaining, um, you know, really good um, gut and overall health um, is going to have huge, like, you know, wonderful effects for those kids. Um, But also it's going to, like, if we maintain a good body weight, um, the chances of, you know, post-puberty are less. Um, And there's little things that you can be doing, like uh, 
I usually try to encourage um, my mothers of approaching um, puberty girls to get them onto a really good quality magnesium, so either a um, magnesium citrate or glycinate just to help their body prepare for that big hormonal shift and change. Um, if you do think they've got a bit of estrogen excess exposure, I like to use something like Vitex, um, B vitamins to really make sure that they've got a healthy liver response to estrogen um, and zinc as well, just to make sure that they've got that good hormonal conversion happening too. But this will also hopefully help to decrease that beta glucuronidation activity in the gut where um, they're just recycling those estrogens. Um, you can definitely use aromatase um, inhibitors where it stops the testosterone being consistently and constantly being converted into estrogen. Um, I would definitely suggest working, obviously, with your um, uh, like healthcare practitioner on the on this. But um, the few things that come to mind in terms of aromatase inhibitors are usually things like chrysin, maca. Um, wild nettle root and grapeseed ex extract, um, but that's not for the faint-hearted who need to know what you're doing with that. Um, and medically speaking, they will use um, like chemical aromatase inhibitors. So they might be things like selective estrogen like modulators like tamoxifen, which is a breast cancer drug, um, or they might be using gonadotrophin-releasing um, antagonist therapy. So essentially trying to shut down um, pithways and you know affecting what your pituitary gland output is and all of that sort of stuff. But that's pretty extreme um, and hopefully... It doesn't come to those sorts of things, but there is definitely ways to help the body um, to improve its hormonal conversion, um, the way it metabolizes hormones and the way the cells are sensitive to those hormones as well. But then there's also steps you can take before you are even pregnant to helpfully try and lower all of your exposure to these things in the first place. Love it. And I think it's, no, and that's the, the, the big lump sum of it, isn't it? Um, it's something that is becoming more prevalent. We know it is. We know there's a massive environmental impact on <laughs> the why, the underlying why. Why is this happening? Why are we having so many kids uh, experiencing precocious puberty? And if we can affect the environment in a positive way, then we have a great chance at, one, preventing our infants uh, turning into, you know, young children that are experiencing early menstrual changes and we can also affect the impact of the i guess the the transition for those children so if they are going through it we can use you know supplementation we can use diet and lifestyle to help them transition better just like the same advice we'd give to you know a woman experiencing massive you know pms style symptoms and, and those um premenstrual i guess moodiness and and Typical angst and anxiety of teenagers, we can still use those supplementations to support, like you said, Andrea, the, the hormonal pathways. They're going to allow those children to transition better so that they're not having these massive, you know, ups and downs and crashes of emotions. And hopefully that will also allow them to emotionally mature in a way that's not going to be damaging and detrimental to their development. Um, but, you know, particularly in the areas of, of hopefully warding off the risks of things like the depression and um, coupled with things like anxiety because we know that there's also increased rates of um, eating disorders in this particular subset of, you know, our kids. So, yeah, super important. And I think, you know, if you do have parents or you know someone or it's your family yourself, just realise that there is a lot you can do to help make this process um, 
better, I think is, is the word for it, because it's a natural process, you know, going from child to adolescent to, to adult is part of our experience, but doing it too soon can be really, really challenging, not just for the child, but for the parents and the family as well. Yeah, awesome. Um, okay, ladies, I think that's enough from us on precocious puberty. Um, that word in itself is a bit of a mouthful. So <laughs> um, we're going to wrap it up here and we want to know um, if you have any experience with this, if you um, have any more questions, then make sure you communicate with us um, via our social media channels. So facebook.com forward slash the wellness women um, on Facebook or we are on Instagram at the wellness women official. Ladies, you've been listening to wellness women radio. We are the wellness women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar on women's health. And so until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.